neighbor. Let's have a word of prayer as we begin to get into the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 together. Father, I thank you, Lord, that we can come to you today. We can praise you for what you are doing. We can praise you for what you've done. And far beyond the just little gummy baby Jesus, um, that was an entry port, port uh, entry point through a portal that led to the cross and, and that you knew was leading to the cross from the moment it started out. And you'd had this plan from all of eternity that Christ would hang on a tree, that he would die for us, that his shed blood would pay for our sins. And now we can have eternal life in him. And Father, I pray that you would use what we're going to see today, Lord, to empower us, to motivate us, to strengthen us to, for all that you have for us to do in reaching others. With that gospel good news, we ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you. May be seated in the Lord's presence. You know, so we're, we're exploring the Holy Spirit. And, uh, expo- you know, what I've discovered is exploring the Holy Spirit is kind of like I mentioned with a whole bunch of rooms. And in order to keep this series to a, you know, compact uh, fashion uh, so that we don't just talk about it forever, well, then I'm trying to open each door in that mention in such a way that you can enter a room without us having to examine every piece of furniture, everything, uh, every little inch of that room as we go in it. So I want to give you what you need that you can begin your relationship with the Holy Spirit, particularly, and extend that out through your life. Today, 1 Corinthians 12 is our base passage, but I'm going to draw in a lot of companion cross-references along the way, because this topic is so intense and so important for your spiritual life and for the function of this church that Paul addresses it several places. So we're talking today about something which can only be supplied by the Spirit, and that is the gifts of the Spirit. And because this is so essential to your Christian life, it seems like this one subject brings up more confusion, more controversy, and more carping than any other in, in the New Testament. I mean, books have been written and, and uh, people have fought and churches have split over these issues of the gifts. So what we need to do today is make some spiritual sense. So let me start off by defining what the Bible means by a spiritual gift. So let me hit you with this definition. A spiritual gift is an enablement for ministry in this local body so that you can fulfill a supernatural mission, a spiritual mission, even in your own natural flesh. It is a gift because you cannot work to get it. You find it as a result of walking in the Spirit and then serving in some capacity in the work of the Spirit. And the reason God gives gifts is because the church is to act on Christ's behalf to build his kingdom and carry out his purpose for eternity. So when Jesus ascended after his resurrection, he bequeathed to his management team, the church, the tools necessary to pull off his plan on this planet in human history using you, using people who get saved. So all of us have talents. I mean, there's certain things that, that you do well, But you do not have to be a Christian in order to be talented. 
Uh, you know, there are some very talented sinners and some who are very talented in sin. Uh, but when you become a Christian, you bring your natural talents into the body of Christ. Now, that's great, but that's not a gift. A spiritual gift is an enablement that God supernaturally bestows in the moment of ministry. Because what he is concerned about is endowing you to accomplish a spiritual and eternal purpose, even with your mortal and your physical flesh. So that gift is designed to enhance the body and to move people forward. It may be one of your earthbound talents, and that's fine. But the distinguishing feature is that God touches it, and it can, he can show you how it accomplishes his eternal ends. Now that gives it a, not a, that's a natural talent that's blessed. It now becomes supernatural. And also now when you use it, there's not the element of pride because God's touched it. I mean, some of you may have a talent to teach and you can organize well and explain people and, and, and people benefit or explain things to them or to children and they benefit. And, and when a man or woman volunteers to teach here, the spirit touches that and the spirit touches it so that what is told does not stay static with the student, but it becomes the motivation for their heart to follow Christ. Someone's natural empathy may make you feel better. But the gift of mercy is to be moved by the Holy Ghost so that you are transformed in your view of Christ by the application of that gift. And because it was blessed by God, you keep on keeping on, even in spite of rough providences. And because you keep on keeping on in spite of rough providences, you know that it's not you, it's God. Even as talented naturally as you might be in that area, that is of God. So what I want you to see today, and this is our thesis for today's study, is that God supernaturally gifts every member of Christ's body so that this church will move forward against all opposition, against the world, the flesh, and even the devil. We have supernatural mechanisms which are at work. They facilitate the growth of this church and our development of people in ministry preparing them for God's purpose for eternity. Do you understand the words coming out of my mouth? Yes. So, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's start off in chapter 1, because there are four primary passages that address spiritual gifts. Not just chapter 12 here, but also Romans 12, and also Ephesians 4, and also 1 Peter. So, so, so pull back your pages. Let's start unpacking the math. And this is very important. Because there's more said about spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 than any other place in the Bible. And almost more than many other topics in the Bible. And verse after verse, he's dealing with this subject. And you know what? I think, I think part of that is the problem. Part of that, the problem is either we're totally ignorant, totally ignore it, totally apathetic toward it. Well, the other part of the problem, and I think the reason Paul spends so much time talking about it to the Corinthians, is because they were so messed up regarding these gifts. So most people who go to 1 Corinthians approach it, I think, from the wrong direction, because they say, let's go back to Corinth and let's learn about spiritual gifts. And yet it's more accurate to say, let's go to Corinth so we can find out what not to do with spiritual gifts, how to fix up 
the mess that we are in, in our view of spiritual gifts, because the issue in Corinth was the misuse of those gifts. So many people who are always talking about spiritual gifts are actually reflecting a spiritual deficiency. Now notice in chapter 1, verse 2, Paul says they are saints by calling, and then in verse 7, he says, so that ye come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So they were born again. They had every gift in operation. But when Paul comes to chapter 3, look at chapter 3 now, because now he has to say this in verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able, for ye are yet carnal. How do we know that? For whereas there is among you envying and and, and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? I mean, the natural man. I'm not operating spiritually with spiritual gifts. I mean, they were saved because... He says they're saints, they were gifted because those gifts were operating in the body, and yet they were carnal, fleshly, unspiritual, and worldly in their thinking, philosophy, and approach. So here's my first point for study. You can have all the spiritual gifts and still walk in the flesh. Oh, boo. I mean, that is such a shame. There's no, there's no direct connection between giftedness and holiness, And just because a person has a gift to exercise, that does not mean that they have a close walk with God at that particular moment, because we have known some people who used their gift as a cloak for carnality and even to feed their own flesh. So you cannot use giftedness alone as a measure of spirituality. But likewise, do not let anyone make you feel less spiritual because you do not practice the gift that they say you should be doing, speaking in tongues or whatever else. The Christians in Corinth had all the gifts, but they they were immature because they were not digesting spiritual meat. And even though they had the gifts, they were not growing in their Bible. So in every chapter, Paul deals with some crisis in Corinth. Chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, all the way through chapter 11, starting in chapter 12. He's now going to take three chapters because there's so much mess over their ministry. Uh, The other three passages on spiritual gifts, they're pretty much short and to the point. But the reason for this multiple message on spiritual gifts, and this is our second point for study, is because when you walk in the Spirit, the gifts are going to function naturally. And it's no mystery, and you don't need to take a personality test, and you have to buy somebody's book and read it. In these first three verses, Paul is dealing with paganism, which crept into Christianity. So the city had invaded the church, so much so the church was not able to reach the community. Verse 1, now concerning, chapter 12, verse 1, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Ye know that ye were Gentiles carried away into these dumb idols, even as ye were led. Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed. Now you learn from the history of the early church in Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 13, 
that there were Jewish magicians, there were sorcerers, there were exorcists, there were other vagabonds who boasted they had the Holy Ghost, and yet they demeaned biblical authority. They were not going to allow anyone else to use the Bible to judge their gift. Today, Jehovah's Witnesses... Mormons, RLDS, Community of Christ, Scientologists, Unity, Muslims, and anyone who denies that Jesus is God, and they make him just a man. Okay, they they are also guilty of this. That's blasphemy. And those people are all speaking by a false spirit. So rather than speaking or acting or being acted on by the Holy Ghost... They're they're speaking by a devilish, demonic spirit. But by the same token, verse 3, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. I mean, the whole Jewish nation denied that the Holy Spirit could come on Gentiles instead of just them. So Paul says, now look, when the Gentiles confess Christ and they're obedient to the word, well, that's proof that they actually do possess the Holy Ghost. Watch, verse 4. Now, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. So there is a variety called diversities of gifts, all coming from one Spirit. There is a multiplicity of opportunity for ministry or offices called administrations under one Lord. And there's a variety of effects or works called operations which are produced by God. And the reason God gives so many gifts to his church is to pull off his supreme agenda. God's gifts to you are to be administered through you for the benefit of others beyond you. If you are saved, you are endowed with supernatural spiritual giftedness once you get into ministry service. Because verse 7 says that the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man. That's number one, every person. Number two, for every person to profit withal. That means to, that's, that's a good King James word. It means to be, it means you are profited with that and you profit all with it. Everyone, not just yourself. So it is given to you for a common good. At the judgment seat of Christ, Jesus will ask, who benefited from the gifts I gave you? I mean, obviously you got the gift of salvation, but... You know, my Bible says, and Alan told you, with the gift of salvation comes so much more. I mean, you were such a fan of of that TV series, Smallville. Smallville. I mean, you're you're such a super Superman fanatic, and uh, you know, and then in Smallville, it's you know that you know it comes down, and then and then and then and then all those other shows for a meteor. A meteor goes across and lands, and everybody who is close to it, they, they end up, each of them, with a different kind of supernatural thing that they can do. And you were such a, 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 a fan of that fiction, and yet you had the reality. Because when you got saved, you got supernatural ability. So what did you do with what I gave you to steward while I was gone? 
Did you just bury it in the earth and hide it? Did you trade on it? I mean, how many souls did you get for me giving you your soul in eternal life? So all of us, you know, at Christmas time, particularly, we see children open up their gifts, Christmas Day, Christmas Eve, whenever you do it, they open up their gifts around the tree, and many times they do not want their brother or their sister to touch it. So I don't know how many Christmas days I've been able to be referee of an MMA match, and in most cases in that cage fighting, the children added nothing to the purchase of that gift. I mean, they made no contribution, whatever, except the list of things they wanted, which we had to try and decipher the, the handwriting on. They made no contribution to what was under the tree. And yet they act as though they bought it, they paid for it, and they tell the rest of the family, look, you better not touch it while I go to the bathroom. So here's an important principle in the process of spiritual gifts. This is our third point for study. If God's endowment to you is not coming through you and benefiting others around you, then God cuts off from you the blessing to you that he intended for you in using that gift. Capiche? If you are so selfish, you are not willing to use what God gives you by saving you, which was donated, to which you made no contribution for the common good of believers in his body, then you short-circuit your own blessing. And then God, I think, kind of becomes like the parent that sees the kids fighting. So he takes everything away, and, and they get to play with nothing until they learn how to behave. When you insist on being a cul-de-sac and not letting God make you a conduit, when you insist on being a reservoir and won't let God make you a river, then God limits his blessing, his fellowship, and his supernatural power to you. So if you're not willing to serve in the common good of this church and the bigger agenda of the purpose of God for eternity, then God will stunt your blessings. And I just answered the question, why? Well, Alan, why? You know, how come? Okay, well, maybe this is the answer. The simple reason is because God blesses his purpose for those who are operating in his divine agenda. So we see in verse 4, same spirit. Verse 5, same Lord. Verse 6, same God. Now look at the end of verse 8, same spirit. Beginning of verse 9, same spirit. End of verse 9, same spirit. Middle of verse 11, self-same spirit. In verse 13, one spirit, one body, one spirit. And then verse 25, he tells you why. That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. You know, we've come full circle from the first century to the 21st. I think God at the end of the age and in the very last days, before the rapture of the church, before the second coming of Christ, I think God said, huh, you know that Laodicean church? I'll tell you what, though. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give them the same opportunity. The same opportunity is in the first century. Because what was Corinth dealing with in the first century? Well, politically. There was political division. You had the Optimates and the Populares. And Populares, like, like Julius Caesar, said power to the people. And the Optimates said, no, look, we're the ruling class. Let's keep it conservative here. And there was that schism, and that schism affected the body. 
Not only that, but you had the rich and you had the poor and you had the patricians and the plebeians and, 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 and okay, and, and so, okay, we've got the same thing today. You, got the, you, had the, you had the Romans and you had the barbarians. So they had their own immigrant problem uh, at that particular time and that showed up in the church. But when we all work together in the common mission, it produces unity in spite of all of those things in society. And that's why Paul uses your body as the analogy. He makes the point that even though we have only one body, we have many members and organs and systems that comprise one healthy body. And the reason the body functions so well is because these parts are all interconnected and they're operating under one head for one agenda. Now, I don't know if they taught you this in med school or nursing school. Uh, uh, so any of you nurses or doctors who are in here, any of you medical technicians, listen up. When your body parts start, start operating on conflicting agendas, you need a doctor. Call a doctor, you are sick. Corinth had disunity because they were comparing gifts, competing with gifts, ignoring their gifts, or jealous over somebody else's gifts, So the gifts alone do not bring unity, but functioning under the head to accomplish his mission and ministry with others, that brings unity. And that's why we can see, you know, how the Bible uses this to measure our maturity. Verse 7 says, the Spirit has gifted every believer. When Jesus hung on the cross, he had you in mind. And this is our fourth point for study. Jesus had you in mind on the cross in order to make you a vessel through whom he would build his body in your generation. For as long as you were alive, I don't know what legacy you want to leave behind for your children, for your family, for your kids, for your grandkids, you know, toward your parents as you grow up. But this is the legacy. Your epitaph should be tied to this. Here was a person walking in the Spirit, manifesting spiritual gifts, and his heart went up to God in praise. Because you now have a supernatural power which belongs exclusively to you, and if you will just enter that ministry portal and exercise it. I mean, it's more than just for for your talent, uh, because it ministers to the body, and and it's acted on by the Holy Spirit in order to produce supernatural results. Okay, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. These gifts are not classified by sex because they're belonging both to men and women. They are not broken down by location because they are for all countries. Ephesians 4 is the next passage on spiritual gifts because it brings the purpose of the gifts to the surface in a very graphic way. Verse 7, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore, he saith, When he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now, why did he do that? Verse 10, he that descended is the same that also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. So he did it so that the dominion of Christ would be expressed everywhere, everywhere you go, every person you touch, every relationship you have. How's that going to happen? And and does that really involve you and me? Verse 11, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers 
for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So Christ has gifted his church as a whole, as well as gifting you individually. He wants his body to be built up and develop and grow, and he wants you to work in ministry and edify the body. Why? Why? Verse 13, till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. We are to be one church going one direction toward one destination because all the body parts work as one. Mission focus is our time to focus on that destination and get that direction. Verse 13, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So Christ-likeness is our ultimate goal. Now what does it take to get there? Verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children. Well, that's one thing it takes. Because children are tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and what they put on their YouTube channels and, and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Giftedness must lead to service, And service will always lead to growth. So the job of the church leaders is not for us to do the work of the ministry. It is for us to perfect and mature you for the saints to get the ministry to be done. So we do that by helping you understand your giftedness and implement that giftedness and giving opportunity to implement that giftedness so that by your giftedness, we can all move forward. And no matter how much Bible information you get after discipleship, you will not be blessed unless you are using your gifts to support God's goal. Now that means you can hinder this whole body moving forward. So the, so the Spirit of God takes direct responsibility for affecting the movement and the maturity of this body by the provision of spiritual gifts. And yet... I have known some Christians who are like wheelbarrows, no good unless they're pushed. And others are like canoes, I can't get them moving unless they're paddled. Others are like kites, you've got to keep pulling their string or they fly away. Some are like kittens, they're only content when you're petting them. Others are like a football, you can't predict where they bounce after they drop. And others are like balloons full of hot air, ready, ready to blow up any time. And others are like short circuits. They just keep going on and off and on and off. And since I could probably put a specific name with each one of those metaphors, let me just ask this. Why does this exist in the church? It's because most Christians do not see the eternal issues involved in being filled with the Spirit. So they do not walk in the Spirit and thereby exercise the gifts of the Spirit. God has so gifted our church with multifaceted spiritual abilities because Christ wants to do his program through you. And yet what so many Christians want to know when they come to church Sunday morning is just two things. Number one, what am I going to get out of it? Because I don't know if I even want to come and get up and get ready and go if I'm not getting something out of it. Number two, what are they going to do so that I'm entertained? Well, let me answer the first question for you. What did you put into it? How how is God working through you 
to enhance the progress of his body. But let me draw down the real application. How is harvest better because you are here? You know, a lot of people, a lot of other churches cannot answer that question because a lot of other churches allow the people who come to be church leeches. They are a church leech. Christianity is in the state it's in today because a lot of Christians are sucking life from a church and giving nothing in return. And you know what? It may have a lot of social programs and things it's doing. They may do something in society, but they're not doing anything spiritually. You know, Christians are, are sucking. They want to accrue benefit. They do not want to incur commitment. So there's a clever young guy named somebody else. There's nothing he cannot do. He's busy from morning to way late at night just substituting for you. You're asked to do this and asked to do that, but what is your ready reply? Give that job to somebody else. He'll do it much better than I. So much to do in this weary old world. So much and workers so few. And somebody else all weary and worn is substituting for you. The next time you're asked to do something worthwhile, just give it this ready reply. If somebody else can give time and talent, then Lord help me, so can I. Jesus wants to use all of his body parts. That is why he has given every member gifts. The third major passage is Romans 12. In Romans 12, here's what we learn. It's our fifth point for study. Worship of God that does not lead you into service for God is wasted worship. Paul spends the first two verses here saying, give your body to God because that's your reasonable service. Why is it a reasonable service? Because all service to God is worship to God and worship always serves God. That's only reasonable. So Paul says, verses 1 and 2, worship spiritually by making your life a living sacrifice. And then he says in verses 3 to 8, work spiritually by exercising the gifts that God gives you in return. Verse 3, for I say through the grace given unto me. Paul saw all of his earthly life revolving around this solar sun of grace. And so he says to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Now, do you know anybody that does that? If they're sitting next to you, just keep looking straight up here. Just look straight up here at me. They will never know you're thinking about them. Many of us have a misguided view of ourselves. You may be a rich sinner. You may be a blue-collar sinner. But to be saved, you've got to get as low as anybody else at the cross. Empty ships ride high in the water. But people riding high are usually just full of hot air. And yet the person who's heavy laden with spiritual gifts, they ride low in the water. And since you are a low rider, it is not this church's blessing to have you here today. It is God's grace that allowed you to stoop low enough to enter. Now, I know that sounds intolerant, but there is no negotiation over humility. You've got to enter Christ's kingdom as a little child in need of grace and mercy and thankful to God. So do not think more highly, but find that little area you need to serve in and use God's spiritual gifts right there. It'll change every other aspect of your life. And maybe that's a gift to help so that you can help families check in on Sundays. 
Maybe you run sound. Maybe you help with our live stream or you usher or, you know, just set the atmosphere and environment, make it presentable by doing those things. Maybe you have the gift of administration and you do things like set up our pop-up shop there in the corner. Of all the swag we're going to have available for Mission Focus. And not only that, you can sign up. You can go ahead. You know, for the last five years, we've sponsored 120 kids in Zambia for, for um, $28 a month. So Tom went to Zambia this last year. And what, and you know, and we've always told you, oh yeah, you know, that money goes to the child that you're sponsoring so forth. Well, w- Tom went there. And what he discovered is not only does that money take care of the feeding center and the education of that child and, and pay for the teachers? And many of the teachers are pastors in that church. But that char- church, because we became their entire economy, started five churches in the last five years in other parts of the jungle further away. So I thought, well, let's, let's increase it a little bit. Let's do 130 kids. And really, you know, it takes about $30 a month. So for $360, you could give yourself the greatest Christmas gift you'll have this year. In exchange for that, you'll get to pick up an ornament off the tree in the lobby, uh, which was made by uh, Mercy Jewelry. So when, um, when Allison Hale was here with us last October, you know, they have a ministry down in the Dominican where they get women out of, self, of, of sex trafficking by giving them a way to be self-sufficient and a legitimate job, and that's putting jewelry together, and then they sell the jewelry. And so we bought 130 of these. We bought it so that you could give $30 a month or $360 at once and get the picture of one of those 130 kids with a string that hangs it that was actually from Zambia also. Uh, You know, I think that's kind of cool. I I think that's a way to start a revolution. I I think that's changing things in ways in, in Zambia. We didn't even know until we went there and looked It's kind of like spiritual gifts. You don't even know until you start using them. And so this is so important because using your gifts, God will supernaturally empower you in three ways. Here's what you get from using your gifts. Fruit happens naturally. Number two, you feel satisfied and fulfilled finally. And number three, you don't get burned out doing those things because it's a spiritual gift as Holy Spirit empowered and, and God unwraps it as you exercise it in service. So, verse 3, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. So let me hit you with this definition. The measure of faith simply means an area in which you trust God and start serving him. An area in which you exercise faithfulness. It denotes the sphere of the work of God where your worship is made real. Verse 4, for as we have many members in one body, and all our members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given unto us. Let me just cut across the field, summarize the rest of the sentence, which doesn't end until verse 8. But basically says, let's exercise them accordingly. Some of you will never learn what your spiritual gifts are, Because God only steers a moving vehicle. And you cannot change the direction of a stationary object. So if you're not willing to do anything, 
God will not show you that special thing he has supernaturally enabled you to do. And this is our final point for study. You will never be fulfilled in your Christian life until you are serving God using his equipment. That is grabbing spiritual gifts as God provides divine resources to you. And there is joy in walking this way because we are to grow more and more into the image of Christ. And Jesus had all the gifts. So the bottom line is that if, what, if, if you are serving God, the Holy Spirit will give you whatever you need to accomplish his mission. There was a young man came to his mother needing some money, and so he did his chores and he left a note. He said, for cleaning my, me cleaning my own room, $5. For me washing the dishes last night, $3. For me raking the leaves, we had a lot of trees, $10. His mom read the note while he's at school, put $18 on the table with a note of her own. For carrying you for nine months, for throwing up for three months, for cooking breakfast every morning, for making your lunch, for washing and ironing your clothes, for staying up all night when you were hot with fever, no charge. That is grace. Your salvation cost a lot because it required the most expensive payment in the universe. So much so, I don't know if you've ever figured out the physics on this or not, but the physics is this. The entire universe would not have been payment enough for your sin. I mean, that's how expensive the, the payment was that had to be made. And yet it was no charge to you. In Christ, God's grace gives you forgiveness. In Christ, his grace gives you everlasting life. And in Christ, it gives you gifts. I mean, you ought to be saying, what else, what else can I do? Or better yet, what is there that I cannot do with how much you have given me? Maybe if I just take something on, I'll develop a gift I don't already have. Maybe some, something latent at this moment, but potent in ministry. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You know, some churches are all about the money. I don't know if you've ever noticed that or not, but especially around Christmas, you know, giving, giving at Tuesday and, and all of that. Other churches are all about feel-good movements and feel-good moments. Some churches are even all, seem to be all about politics, if you can believe it. But God's church is supposed to be about every member in the mission. Ministering the gospel to the lost, ministering the word of God for growth to the saved. But do you even have the Holy Ghost in your life so that he can do that? Today, you could leave here in Christ with his spirit in you. You say, Alan, how? How can I get that? How can I get there? What have I got to do? Well, nothing to do really except exercise faith and you can just pray. Just pray and say, Jesus, I trust you today for eternal life. Boy, I sure can't trust myself. I couldn't trust myself to start it if I knew the path or finish it, if I knew how to walk. God, I repent because I want to be converted. Today, I believe. Jesus, I give you my life, so make me born again in Jesus' name. Will you go ahead and stand and bump elbows with your neighbor?
as we get ready to pray, you know, if you prayed that, please come up and meet me or one of our altar workers here at the front, either while we're singing or after we get done, uh, so I can give you a copy of my book that I've written on next steps in the Christian life. There's a hospitality meeting right after this service for everybody working in hospitality, which I, which I think will have pizza. So if you want, you know, let me just make this offer because you can always squeeze one more person in on a pizza, can't you? Yeah, every, you know, the young kids know this. You always squeeze one more person in on a pizza. If you want to find where you belong and you think it might be in some, that area, all right, we'll hang around and, you know, we'll give you a piece of pizza. And, uh, uh, you know, we'll get you started on the way. Next Sunday, we'll be back in Romans to see how we heavenly citizens have to operate in these earthly kingdoms. I mean, this is life to you. This this isn't just life to you. Every Sunday, we get down to the gospel. I mean, throughout the Bible, there is a scarlet thread that some people say, like what? Rahab hung out the wall and was saved. I mean, there is, there is the blood of Christ starts at the cross and it streams in both directions, Old Testament and New. No matter where we preach, we can always get down to the gospel. So you know if you bring someone, they're going to they're gonna hear the good news about how to get saved. The seed will at least be planted. Or if you've planted it, it'll be watered. And then maybe they'll get saved that Sunday. And, you know, no better time than Christmas season to do that. Father, I thank you today. Lord, I pray. I pray on behalf of these people. God, I I know that they want to serve you. I know they want to serve you. And most churches don't even have this emphasis on telling them how, or it's not set up with the opportunities. And I know sometimes we think we're doing so many things, and and it's just too much. But God, we've got to have the right opportunity for everybody. I don't know that we're ever doing too much until that day that every everyone is finally working someplace. So God, give us grace to follow you based on what you've given us and to open that door to those that we know know who are lost so they will come to see what they could have in you, both in eternal life and in purpose and in meaning and in satisfaction. So God, we ask this today in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Praise team, sing us out.